Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Ryan, we are plowing on into summer here. Um, you know, we fortunately had some good rain this week. We needed it. Yes, we did. It's getting real hot. And uh, I'm trying to get used to that. I know it comes every year, but it, every year it's kind of hits yeah, me. Yeah, the humidity's here. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Um, you know, we had some serious heat last week, a little cooler this week, but, you know, it's it's summer is here. So, you know, pull out the suntan lotion, start planning your beach vacation because oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure you've already planned that. But now it's time to take it, right? That's right. It's getting there we close. Go. There we go. So, uh, yeah, and I mean, we, we have some great topics to talk about um, today. You know, we're going to start off here talking about the stock market and and um, you know, why long-term investing is crucial, right? Absolutely. A lot of people are talking about the stock market these days. I wonder why, and really just going back to just fundamentals on why we want to look long-term. Yeah, absolutely. This is based on a great article and it just gives you a really good perspective. So you want to tune into this and, and really, uh, pay attention to the examples here. I really like this article. And then we're going to follow that up with another topic here, and that's questions to ask before buying into this housing market. Oh, yes. Um, you know, housing market, it's been red hot for, uh, you know, a year and a half here now, um, Ryan, but, you know, things might be changing. So there's some key questions you want to ask before you go buy a house in today's market. we got a great article talking about that that we're going to opine on as well. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Ryan Borders. I'm also a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday. Um, you can find all of our shows there on our website at moneymd.net um, or on iTunes. Um, we're really all over the place. You can listen to us anywhere in the world. We'd also love to hear from you. Um, so go on our website and you can link to us there. You can send us your questions and we will talk about those right here on the show. Well, Ryan, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah. So let's talk about the cost of trying to time the market. We get questions about this. We see it in the news, pulling cash in, putting uh, putting cash in, putting taking cash out of your portfolios. So let's look at a hypothetical $1,000 investment made in 1997 into the Russell 3000. You know, it turned into, if we're looking at over a 25-year period, just about a little over $10,000 um, ending December 31st of 2021. Over the 25-year period, you know, if you miss the Russell 3000's best week, which ended on November 28th of 2008, the value shrinks to 8,652. Miss the best three months, which ended on June 22nd, 2020, the total return falls to $7,308. So missing only a brief period of strong returns can dramatically impact the overall performance of your portfolio. Yeah, that's a great fact. And I mean, the, the point here is, you know, why try to time the market when over a 25-year period, $1,000 turned into $10,000? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's a great return over 10% per year. Um, you don't need to try time the market if that's available for the getting just by diversifying in the right asset classes and, you know, managing risk um, really is the key there. And, you know, time in the market, you're increasing risk. You're, you're giving yourself the opportunity to miss out on the best days and, and severely hamper, hurt, hurt your return. 
So don't try to time the market, you know, just let the market do what the market does. And that is over time, it makes you successful. So absolutely. Yeah, that's a great factor. And talk week. about stressful, just trying to do that well. Golly. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to time the market it just in, compounds your stress. It doesn't lower your stress at all. So um, yeah, great, great fact of the week. And that brings us up here to our first topic. And that is, you know, are you worried about stocks? I mean, why is long-term investing crucial? I think this is a good good topic. Yeah, and this comes from David Booth. He's the executive chairman and founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors, who's the fund company we use. Um, and so he put this out this week, and it's just really good. So, Steve, we're living in a time of extreme uncertainty. We can't deny that, and anxiety that comes along with it. Um, against the backdrop of war, humanitarian crisis, economic hardship, it's natural to wonder... Uh, what effects these world events will have on our long-term investment performance. Uh, while these challenges certainly warrant our attention and deep concern, they don't have to be a reason to panic about markets when you're focused on the long-term on long investing. So let's, let's kind of look back 25 years ago, Steve, you know, 1997. Uh, golly, it's a... Funny um, how long ago that was. Um, <laughs> doesn't seem that long ago for, for us older oh, folks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that was just, yeah, not, not too long ago. Um, but J.K. <laughs> Rowling just published her first Harry Potter book. So Harry Potter just came out. General Motors is releasing the EV1, an electric car with a range of, get this, 60 miles. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder why electric cars didn't do well back then. Uh, the internet is in its infancy. Y2K looms and everyone is worried about the Russian financial crisis. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And I remember those things well, Ryan. So I it don't. wasn't really that far ago, <laughs> you know, in my mind anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot has changed in the last 25 years. Um, but I would just, you know, say, you know, nothing new is, there's nothing new under the sun, yeah. you know, to quote scripture, right? I mean, uh, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty back then and, and there's a lot of uncertainty now. Um, they're always a little bit different, but you know, they're still, they have the same core, core fears that, that come into play, you know? So what if we went back 25 years and what if a stranger offers, offers to tell you what's going to happen over the course of the next 25 years, you know? So here's the big question, you know, would you invest in the stock market knowing that the following things were going to happen? And would you stay invested? Um, so Asian contagion uh, was one, and I don't even remember exactly yeah. what that was. That wasn't quite as big. But the Russian default that you referred to um, with the Russian financial crisis, the currency crisis, that was a big thing back mm -hmm. in 98, um, you know, where Russian defaulted on some of their debt. We had the tech collapse, if you remember that, from... 2000, you know, the NASDAQ hit 5,000 and, and collapsed to like 80%. Um, Jeez, wow. So it was a huge collapse for the for the tech, the NASDAQ index and the tech stocks. They had the bubble. Um, then we had 9-11, of course, you know, the terrorist attack in 2001. Um, we had the lost decade where the stock market lost money, actually lost 1% a year. The S&P 500 did from 2000 to 2009 for an entire decade. So, you know, you, you gosh, that has to scare anybody if you think that's coming. And then there's the Great Recession. Of course, that's the financial crisis of 2008 where Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and the S&P lost 58% from the top to the bottom. Um, so that was quite a, quite a, tumultuous couple of yeah. years there. And uh, then we had the global pandemic, um, which we were just, we're still living through, unfortunately. Um, 
We all know what that entailed and 40% drop in the stock market there over a few months. And then uh, the Russian, uh, the second Russian default, um, which is probably coming. I'm seeing a, a theme here with Russia. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> They're troublemakers, aren't yeah. they? They're twice on here. So with everything we just mentioned, you know, what would you have done? I mean, would you have gotten in the stock market 25 years ago? Um, would you have gotten out? Would you increase your holdings of stocks or decreased them? I mean, what would that look like if you knew that was coming over the, all those things were coming over the next 25 years? Yeah. And a, a lot of people would say, oh no, don't, don't do anything. It's going to be horrible. Well, let's look at what happened. Okay. So from January of 1997 to December of 2021, the U.S. stock market returned on average 9.8% a year. Almost 10%. Yeah. Almost 10%. A dollar invested at the beginning of the period would be worth about $10.25 at the end of that period. These returns are very much in line with what returns have been over the history of the stock market. And so how can that be? The market is doing its job. It's science. Yeah, that's right. You know, the market has an amazing ability, and the, the economy does too, to adjust, you know, and to, to correct for these things that come up, you know, and to realign itself. And... um so investing in the stock markets, of course, is uncertain. You know, the role of markets is to price in that uncertainty. So there, there are a lot of negative surprises over the past 25 years that happened, but there were a lot of positive surprises as well. And, you know, the net result was the stock market returned, um, you know, seemed very reasonable over that period, even generous. Um, you know, and it's a tribute to human ingenuity um, that when negative forces pop up, people and companies that respond, they mobilize, they get back on track. You know, if you just think about the pandemic for a second oh, yeah. and what that brought about, it was amazing to see how companies went online immediately, you know, went remote, people worked from home and they were just as productive, Absolutely, you know, from home. And, you know, and all of us, you know, that used to go out to restaurants, we started ordering food and picking up food and, yeah. Some companies adjusted quickly to that and did very well. You know, some restaurants started doing massive takeout businesses um, and continue that to this day. And so, you know, innovative companies and people, they they adjust to that. And, and the stock market reflects that ingenuity and those changes that people do. But, yeah, human ingenuity created incredible innovations over the last 25 years Plenty of things went wrong, but plenty of things went right, you know, and there's always opportunity out there. So think about, you know, how different life is um, from the way it was back in 1999. You know, the way we work, the way we communicate, the way everything now is done on your phone. And, you know, I control almost all my home stuff with my phone, your air conditioning, your sprinkler yeah. system and cameras and all kind of stuff. You know, even my cat feeder is controlled by my phone. You know, cat feeder. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. I confess. Oh, I'm boy. one of those type of people. I just put everything on my phone. It's just so much easier. So, but you know, yeah, all these things have changed dramatically. And, uh, but the gross domestic product in 1997 was $8.6 trillion. And that has grown to over $23 trillion last year. So that's the, the, product. That's the result of human ingenuity and adjusting to all these uncertainties. Yeah. And so this is a great quote from, from Booth. He says, I am an eternal optimist because I believe in people. I have an unshakable faith in human beings' ability to deal with tough times. In 1997, few would have forecasted as nearly as 10% average return for the stock market. 
but the remarkable um, return was available to anyone who could open an investment account, buy a broad market portfolio, and let the market do its job. Uh, that's a great quote. Um, investing in the stock market is always uncertain. Uncertainty never goes away. Um, if it did, there wouldn't be a stock market. It's because the uncertainty that we have uh, that we have a positive premium when investing in stocks versus relatively riskless assets. So in his opinion, um, reaping the benefits of the stock market requires being a long-term investor. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when you're investing in a portfolio that's well-diversified, it represents the market, um, you're not trying to figure out which stocks are going to thrive and which ones aren't going to be able to recover. And, you know, you're betting on human ingenuity and on capitalism to solve problems and to, to make a good return over time. And the pandemic was a big blow to our economy, but people's companies, you know, markets, they adapted to it. Um, you know, and that's our worldview, you, you know, I mean, whatever next blow is that we're going to face, um, markets will adjust to it. Um, humans will adjust to it. Our, our spending patterns will adjust to it. Companies will make money. The markets will, will, uh, thrive over time. And, uh, so we can't forecast, you know, what the future is going to be, but we can invest in the markets knowing that, that if history proves true again, markets will will recover and and will thrive and that's that's what we think is going to happen yeah and so booth finally closes with saying hey he would never try to predict what might happen in the next 25 years um, but he does believe the best investment strategy going forward is to keep in mind the lessons learned from the the strain the stranger back um in 1997 don't panic and invest for the long term yeah exactly i think that's a great perspective for us to have on investing today, so uh, given given all the uncertainties, so love that article. That's really good. All right, and that leads us up here to our next item, and that is the question of the week. And after that, uh, this is one that came in saying, "Hey, I'm I'm 60 years old and have 60% in stocks um, and 40% in bonds in their portfolio. Should I move all my funds to cash due to recent volatility?" <laughs> well, well, I think we just answered that I think question. We just answered that. Right? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, trying to time it really is futile, you know. I mean, if you if you moved your money to cash today to a safer position in hopes that you're going to get in lower price later, I mean, of course, that's the only way you can make money is to from that move. You might protect yourself from a little bit more downside, but if you're not going to lose money, you got to buy in later. You got to buy in at a lower price th than today which means the economy is going to probably be scarier. Things are going to be worse. Um, and I've never seen anybody that can do that. You know, yeah. they can pull the trigger on buying in when things feel worse than they do today. So if you go to cash today, the chances are great that you're going to buy in at a higher price later, not a lower price. And that's going to cost you money because the stock market is a leading economic indicator. It reacts before the economy it starts back up before you start feeling good about the economy. And so if you're, if you're selling today thinking you're going to protect yourself, but you're going to jump back in when you feel better about the market, it's going to cost you money. You're buying in at a higher price, most likely. That's what history shows. Yeah, and it's just so hard to get the emotions out of it. And so emotions, if you let them overcome, you're just going to make bad decisions. I do have a question for you about all this. Is kind of just in your lifetime, what is this – period kind of feel the most like from past periods? What do you feel like? 
is most similar? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, it does kind of feel like to me like a 2000, 2001, you know, um, you know, minus the minus 9-11. Yeah. You know, it uh, but it just feels like that period in 2000, we were everybody was questioning, are we going into a recession? You know, um, the market was down, you know, first half of the year in 2000 and um you know and and it did finish down that year um but it wasn't a wasn't sharply down um and it kind of feels like that period because we came out of such a really strong period in the nine late 90s yeah um so but then we had 911 and we had the tech bubble so things are always a little bit different you know sure. I don't, we don't have nearly that kind of bubble today and in, in technology and growth stocks and they've already corrected and the S&P's already down below its it's five and 10 year PE ratios on average. Yeah. So all of a sudden the, the S and P 500 is at a fairly reasonable price now. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit different, but, uh, but yeah, 2000, you know, and then 2003, 2004, five and six were great years in the stock market. It was a great period to be in a diversified portfolio. So, you know, I, I think we might have that to look forward to. We can see. We'll awesome. See. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. All right, well, let's let's pivot a little bit here to our next topic, and that is questions to ask before you buy into this hot housing market. Um, and Ryan, this is based on a couple articles, but one of them's out of Forbes by David Ray very recently, and another one's from Yahoo Finance. But you know, the housing market um, in most of this country has been super hot for quite some time here, for probably a year and a half, um, but that could be in the process of changing. Um, you know, just out yesterday, Ryan, you know, the inventory, the, the uh, there was a new report um, and uh, it said, well, first, though, I mean, an economist from Fannie Mae, Doug Duncan, he says the inventory shortage, high prices, rising interest rates have finally bitten, according to him. Um, you know, he's the chief economist for Fannie Mae. He says, you know, the report came out that single-family home sales fell sharply in April, 16.6% in April, down 26.9% lower than a year ago. Um, And that's the slowest rate for the housing market since April 2020. Um, So um, the beginning of the pandemic. Um, So that offers, you know, a little bit of a glimpse of kind of where we are at the housing market that it might be cooling off. You know, what more, new sale, sales in March were revised downward um, significantly from 763000 to 709000 Again, clearly pointing to a housing market that might have turned, according to chief economist at, at Fannie Mae. Um, you know, and this is the result of mortgage rates that have risen more than 2% since the beginning of the year. And that's putting pressure on existing home sales, mortgage applications, and home builder confidence. And he also said that a sharper downturn in residential investment is underway and will likely be revising downward in the near term, you know, home sales forecast. Um, so this week's home sales report, that's the sharpest indicator yet that we've seen that the housing boom is coming under the, some pressure and could be coming to an end. Yeah, and meanwhile, there are far more people looking to buy a new home than those looking to sell. Many buyers and sellers find themselves in situations uh, with multiple offers and homes selling for seemingly uh, unbelievable prices. 
this has have this has left uh, many would be home buyers wondering if now is a good time to be buying a house. Um, in light of the difficult housing market, we have six questions to ask yourself before jumping into today's hot real estate market. Yeah, the market is still very hot. You know, I read in this same article that um, the average home price now is still about three percent above the asking price. The average the yeah. average sales price is still above the asking price, which is you know, it was unfathomable just to a couple of years ago. Um, we, we had never heard of a housing market, at least I hadn't, where, 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 where the sale end up, the end sale price ends up being higher than the asking price. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of crazy and unthinkable. We've been in this market for a couple of years now. Um, well, it's still there. So we're still in this red hot housing market, even though there are some indications that that may be changing. So first question you should ask yourself if you're going to buy a house today is, am I willing to live here for at least five years? Hmm. Um, because, you know, if you're not willing to live there for at least five years, um, then you, you could lose money on it, you know, if we're really at the top of the market. Because if the answer to the question is yes, then, then that will make, you know, the unpleasant turn of events, you know, if the housing market does take a tumble, it'll make it more bearable. Um, but, you know, having a house that meets your needs and this location that you like, um, it makes owning a house a lot more palatable when the inevitable home repairs come up or the house prices drop, um, if that does happen. Under normal circumstances, you know, we're, of course, we're not in a normal market right now. Um, you know, it will usually take a few years to recoup just the cost of buying and selling a house because of the commissions and the upfront cost and the closing cost. So the longer you put that time frame out there, the greater your odds of making money if and when you should decide you sell your home. But, you know, given that we're apparently near the top of this hot market, um, then you need to consider, you know, that it could take 10 years to recover the, the, your investment in your house um, under the worst case scenario like we saw in 2007 at that market top. So... You need to think about that. You know, are you willing to stay in your house for at least five years? I'd say even 10 years might be a better question to ask yourself. Yeah. And I recently read in the Wall Street Journal that the average break evens hit about five years now for most markets. So that's an interesting, with the, with the interest rates going up recently, I saw that. Um, so the next question is, will my cost of housing be less than 28% of my gross income? So for most people, spending more... Uh, then financial planning standards of 28% gross income on housing will leave you house poor. Um, there are exceptions. For example, someone buying a duplex or multi-unit property and renting part of it out or having roommate uh, could help make the home ownership more affordable, yet also give you a lot of headaches. Um, also, in many scenarios, the self-employed um, appear much poorer on mortgage applications than in real life. Um, your mortgage broker can likely get you a mortgage at 43% of your gross income, but that's not advisable and won't leave much money to enjoy life or even do things like eating um, uh, after taxes. So follow Dave Ramsey's advice and keep it uh, closer to a fourth of your income. So that this is really important. People get all excited about the house and then, oh crud, right. now I don't have a monthly income really to do other things. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, Dave Ramsey and, and we suggest that you not spend more than about 25% of your income on housing, yeah. you know. And as you mentioned, the financial planning standard is 28% of your gross income on housing. Um, you don't want to be above that limit, you know, regardless of whether you can get a mortgage, because you're really stretching yourself when that happens. 
And, you know, you're, you're limiting your ability to have some flexibility and stay out of debt and, you know, pay off other debts um, and to handle the uncertainties that come up in life, you know, if, yeah. you, if you get laid off or something like that. So, yeah, you don't want to uh, be above that limit. So that's a good question. Another question to ask, though, is can you afford a 20% down payment? Now, you might be able to buy a house with less than a 20% down payment, but again, that's not advisable um, because having the ability to put down a 20% down payment shows that you're you're likely in a position to afford to own a home. Um, also, I mean, in the current market, the larger your down payment, the more competitive um, your offer is going to be, um, you know, assuming that you're in a, that you're trying to buy a home that has multiple offers. You know, furthermore, I mean, putting a 20% down payment is going to avoid PMI insurance, you know, so the cost of owning your home and making that mortgage payment is going to be less if you put down 20%. So if you can't afford a 20% down payment, then you, you really have to ask yourself the question if you're really ready to buy, particularly in today's markets where prices could drop and it could land you underwater in your home. I think that's a key question you got to be able to save 20% to put down. Um, another question to ask yourself, Ryan, is, you know, can you handle the value of your house dropping? Um, you know, can you, can you handle that? Because we've seen plenty of people who purchased in 2007, the, the top of the last housing boom, and they were underwater for a long time. Um, you know, a quick side story. I mean, my, my grandparents owned a beach house at Ocean Isle Beach and my, my mom and her siblings owned it and they were looking to sell it, you know, back around that time in 2007. And I remember they got an offer on it that was over $900,000 for this oceanfront house. The houses were nothing. It was a lot. It was worth all the money. Um, and it was between five of them. So, um, but they decided not to sell it. They thought, oh, you know, prices are going to go up from here, you know, and it'd always be worth more. And, you know, we, we're still enjoying it. They ended up selling it later. It was like eight, nine years later, they sold that house and they only got 800000 for it eight or nine years later. Oh, wow. So they lost $100,000 by, by not selling it at the top of the market. Um, hmm. And that's eight or nine years. So it was a tremendously long time to recover that drop um from that so yeah you definitely you definitely want to um you know ask yourself that question if you can handle the the drop in the price yeah so the next is do you need to buy a house now uh, of course buying now could be a good decision if you find the right house and really need the house however for others buying now may be a terrible decision um, in many real estate markets currently, the supply of houses for sale is far outstripped by demand, making it a seller's market. However, we can see from the nationwide numbers that this is likely changing. You may be buying at relatively high values with less attractive interest rates relative to a few years from now. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're if you're already in a decent house and you simply need maybe some do-it-yourself upgrades, um, maybe... Now would be a great time to simply, you know, make those do-it-yourself improvements yourself and put a fresh coat of paint on the house, you know. And, I mean, it's it's a hard to imagine prices holding at this level through a downturn, you know. So there's a real chance that you could get the same type of house for less less than a year or two after a decline in, in real estate values. So while I know being patient and fun 
Um, you know, don't rush out and get into a bidding war for a house that you aren't sure you really want or can afford. You know, if you're not in dire need for a house right now and you can rent longer or stay in your current home, um, then now might be the time to hit the pause button on a home purchase. You, you never want to buy anything near the top of the market. And if you can't afford to, if you can't afford to wait, ask yourself the questions of whether or not you really need to buy a house now. And what's amazing about a lot of this is I see people, you know, just reading articles of like people that don't go look at houses. They just make an offer sight unseen. They waive inspection. Things like that are just so risky and it can yeah. just make big mistakes. You just got to be careful. I know it always feels like the present is what always will be, but that's just not the case. Next question is how much work will the house need? Now, that's a big question. With some home um, home prices red hot, so is the cost of remodeling your home. Um, in a weaker housing market, people tend to do upgrades before they sell and get the house in great shape. But now, people are throwing their house on the market as it uh, as, as is. is with none of the obvious upgrades necessary to you know make it a home suitable for the new owners. If you buy that fix it fixer upper, thinking you can spend a little to get in to get in shape, you might be making a huge mistake. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it could work if you can do some of the improvements yourself. But, you know, with the supply chain issues that are out there, I mean, it can make more, it can make it a lot more expensive to get items. And all the best contractors are really busy. So, you know, even if you plan to do your own improvements, you know, go to Home Depot and price the items you want to buy um, for your house before you buy the house. Because if you plan to use a contractor, I mean, prices have skyrocketed. You know, what used to cost 10000 to upgrade a bathroom now is more like 25000 So be extra cautious before you take on a house that has, you know, some significant upgrades and a large project or two that need doing. Um, because, I mean, this can really add a lot to the cost of the house and can be a big burden down the road. Um, so take your time with that. Um, you know, the price you see on HGTV to redo a home are likely far less realistic than they used to be in the real world. So, yeah, I'd avoid that. Yeah, and you want your house to be a blessing, not a curse. And so you want it to be something that you enjoy. But quick question, I know we're running out of time, is do you see the like, market really going down? I mean, what, just with housing trends before? Housing market, well, if you look at the last housing recession, you know, back in 2007, it peaked, and then it started down in 2007 and eight, And, um Housing prices dropped about 30% during that. Um, 30%. Okay. 30%. Now, that was the Great Recession, okay? I mean, that was a massive recession. Um, so I don't see quite that big a drop, but I, I do think they're going to come off where they are today for okay. sure. Um, so I, I think we're going to see a downturn. Who knows how long that lasts. But, you know, housing is kind of like a ship, you okay. know, the housing market. I mean, it doesn't turn fast, turns really slow, takes mm. a long time to turn. Um, and it builds up ahead of steam and doesn't stop fast. So we're seeing the housing market, even though the stock market's down and rates have risen, the housing market's still kind of chugging along, might be tapping on the brakes, getting ready to turn. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't recover very fast either. Unlike the stock market, which is more like a race car, you yeah. know, it's going up, <laughs> down, all over the place. You're trying to spread it out and slow it down sometimes. Um, the housing market is really slow, so it takes a long time to recover. So, yeah, we could definitely see some drops in oh, prices. We'll see how long, you know, what really happens. Nobody knows. But, um, 
Good question. All right, and that leads us to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, I've just met with a couple people recently, and they didn't have wills or didn't have updated wills. So, you know, we encourage good estate planning here. And, you know, 70% of Americans do not have a will. And it's not a fun thing to talk about, but it's really important. Um, things just, you want to avoid probate. You want to make sure you are in charge of who takes care of your kids if something did happen to you. So look at LegalZoom.com. Uh, mamabear.com or, or, or sit down with a local lawyer and, and get yourself an updated will. Yeah, absolutely. You know, estate planning is super important. You want to make sure everything goes where you want it to go to your children and it doesn't go through probate and get delayed by, you know, nine months or a year or longer. Um, so go get a will. It's just a simple process to make sure that, you know, every everything is captured in your estate plan and goes to the appropriate person um, super important. So go get that done today. Great prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 